Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk, featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders, all set within London's West End. Today's episode is about Sedu Dirasuba, a promising young man from a good solid family, and having had a great start in life, he was popular, educated and bright. But believing that he had to carry a knife, instead of becoming someone great, he became just another statistic. Murdermal is researched using the original sources. It contains moments of satire, shock and grisly details. And as a dramatization of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds. So that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 66, Sedu Dirasuba, Another Wasted Life. Today, I'm standing on Oxford Street, W1, two streets southeast of the flat where Marion Lee Smith was stabbed to death by her brain-damaged son. Two blocks east of the Mount Royal Hotel, where Helen Mary Pickford died after a horrifically botched abortion. And two streets north of the curious death of the flamboyant millionaire, Roberto Troyan. Coming soon to Murdermile. As the busiest shopping district in Britain, Oxford Street draws more than 200 million visitors every year. Lured by its bright lights, scammed by its oversized signs, and duped by the totally false discounts. Only to waste a day trawling the same high street stores they could ignore anywhere else. Whilst jostled by deodorant dodgers, pavement ditherers, golf sale guys, and Satan's screaming spawn. Although horrifically busy on Saturdays, Oxford Street is worse during National Dickhead Week a fictional event known by retailers as the January Sales. Beginning in December, and soon in June, the sales see swarms of red-faced morons scrabbling to buy last season's shit, saved from the skip, solely so they can brag to their bored buddies about how they saved 75% off a price it never was, 
for an item they never wanted, only to take it back the next day and be denied a refund as they lost the receipt. Currently empty, after the collapse of HMV's flagship music store, 363 Oxford Street was a sports shop called Foot Locker, which stocked some high-end running shoes for wannabe athletes, but mostly tacky flashy trainers for fat-wheezing frogs with no taste. And although, on the 26th of December 2011, eager shoppers were lured here by the promise of prices slashed, what they witnessed was a bloodbath. As it was here, during the Boxing Day sales of 2011, being torn between a decision to kill or be killed, that 18-year-old Seydou Dirasuba would needlessly die, and all for nothing. Originating from the Ivory Coast in West Africa, as decent, honest and hard-working Muslims, Although Mr. and Mrs. Dirasuba hailed from one of Africa's most prosperous nations, with a wealth gap so wide that 46% of the people lived in poverty, and the former French colony torn apart by armed rebellions and political coups, they made a bold decision and fled the Ivory Coast for a better life abroad. Having travelled 4,500 miles from Abidjan to Britain, swapping French for English, sand for smog, and sunshine for rain, London in the late 1980s must have been a real culture clash. But it was in Merton, South London, where they would settle, seeking the things that any good parent would want for their babies, safety, education, and prosperity, and raising their two boys and a girl to be polite, loyal, and respectful. In 1993, their youngest son was born, and they named him Seydou. Described by his parents as loving, down-to-earth, respectful and charismatic, and being blessed with a beaming smile a mile wide, an infectious laugh, and a cheeky cherubic face which made this young man look years younger, Seydou seemed like a good lad who could truly do nothing wrong. As a joker, with a big personality, Seydou was well-respected amongst his peers and was seen as a loyal friend who would do anything to protect those he loved. As a devout Muslim, he lived by the belief that everything happened by the will of Allah and regarded by his school friends as the nicest person you could ever hope to meet. Although he was educated at Rutledge High School in Merton, a state comprehensive in a poor part of town, Seydou was one of the bright kids. Praised by his teacher as a charming, personable young man with a lot of potential, who later went on to study business at South Thames College, her only concern was his poor attendance. Seydou was a poor black youth living on the outskirts of inner city London. And yet, he had everything. A loving family, loyal friends, a good education and an unshakable faith. He was charming, talented and ambitious. Against the odds, he was given a great start in life. So where did it all go wrong?
raised on the notorious Phipps Bridge estate, which began as five high-rise tower blocks to provide affordable homes for working-class families in the 1960s, soon descended into chaos, as being badly maintained and forgotten about by the cash-strapped council. A broken light led to a smashed window, and soon enough, Phipps Bridge became the epitome of crime-ridden squalor. Described as an experience in misery, with walls thick with graffiti, streets blocked by burnt-out cars, and playgrounds awash with heroin needles. Under strict security, the estate was often used as a grimy backdrop for police dramas. In 1993, the year that Sedu was born, Phipps Bridge was being renovated. And with four of the high-rise tower blocks demolished, and a massive injection of cash. Living standards were better, but the criminal element remained, bringing drugs to the streets. By 2010, one year before Seydoux's death, Phipps Bridge was in decline, being described as one of South London's most notorious crime vortexes. And although council estates are often demonised by the press and television as breeding grounds for crack addicts, doldossers and criminal lowlifes, if this was true, why do the vast majority of the tenants remain good, honest and hard-working people, just like Mr and Mrs Dirasuba? Sedu was raised as a moral and decent young man. He had everything to live for, and yet he died for nothing. In his adolescence, Sedu still had the same beaming smile, but growing bigger and broader, as the young boy became a man, to make his baby face seem more adult, he grew a little bumfloth moustache. Like most teenagers, with hormones racing, emotions raging, and everything confusing, trapped between being a child and an adult, life was frustrating. And lacking any money, privacy or freedom, he often tested the boundaries of what was right and wrong. But then again, who doesn't? By the age of 17, when most teenagers are working their first jobs, studying for exams, or focusing their energies on sports, arts or music, Sedu had stopped attending South Thames College. At home, he remained his mother's little angel. But on the streets he had fashioned himself a new identity. And looking like any young man in neat Levi jeans, Nike trainers and stylish blue hooded tops, his clothes hid a battle-scarred body, sliced apart by his enemy's blades. Whether Sedu was in a gang, we may never know. Some sources state that he was a senior gang member. Some say that he was little more than an underling on the periphery, and yet his family deny that he was ever in a gang at all. Age 14, it is said that Sedu broke a boy's jaw in a fight. At a house party in Croydon, he and his friends beat two boys from a rival gang, Black and Blue. And on the 29th of September 2010, he allegedly stole a Blackberry smartphone in a robbery in Clapham. The victim was badly beaten, and Sedu initially appeared at Inner London Crown Court on the 19th of December 2011, one week before his death.
An unnamed associate said, Sedu was a completely different person when he was with his friends, but that's gang life. Around other members, he was a bubbly character, but when he came across his enemies, that was a different story. You couldn't trust him. He had a cold, ruthless side and could turn on you in an instant if you were not one of his own. Going by the street names of Tuna Raw and Nuts, owing to his alleged reputation for violence, an unnamed source stated that local teenagers would avoid him, knowing that he was armed, dangerous, and that supposedly he was the leader of the ABM gang, which stands for All About Money. According to Scotland Yard's Operation Trident, an initiative set up by the police to get guns and gangs off the streets, there are an estimated 250 active gangs in London, several in the borough of Lambeth, including the Angel Town Gas Gang in Brixton, TN1, which is code for Tell No One, the notorious Otre 1 on the borders of Lambeth and Wandsworth, the 67s on the Tulse Hill Estates, and the ABM gang on the Stockwell Park Estate, to name but a few. And although most gangs are relatively small, covering areas as large as a whole postcode or as small as a single street, and earning very little from minor crimes like mugging, theft and low-level drug dealing, being violent, ruthless and territorial, one in seven of all London's murders take place in the borough of Lambeth. For gang members, this is their family, and this is their life. They kill for pride, they protect their crew, they defend their territory, they attack without fear, and they don't care who gets in their way. For decades, feuds have erupted between rival factions, sometimes over incidents as volatile as a revenge attack on a fallen friend. But sometimes it is over something as simple as a look, a tut or a word. As a former Otre One gang member said, These boys don't give a fuck about nothing. If there's a beef, then it will usually be settled with a piece or a blade. Prior to the death of Sedu Dirasuba, there were several gang-related attacks. Valentine's Day, 2007. 15-year-old Billy Cox was shot dead in his Clapham home. Although it was linked to Otre 1, the murder remains unsolved. Six months later, in nearby Stockwell, 16-year-old Abakar Mohammed was chased by seven youths on bikes and killed by a single gunshot to the neck. April 2009, 16-year-old Olawasei Ogunemi was stabbed to death by a masked mob. ABM gang member Christian Johnson was found guilty of murder after police traced DNA from a trail of blood to his dog. And in 2001, as the feud between Otre 1 and All About Money intensified, two unnamed ABM members were chased by hooded assailants on bikes. Having hid inside the Stockwell food and wine shop, three members of Otre 1 opened fire, spraying the shop with bullets. Every round missed their target. But having fired indiscriminately, they wounded the shop assistant, Roshan Kelva Kumar, 
and as she played in the aisle of her father's shop, five-year-old Thusha Kamalesawaran was hit in the chest and was left paralyzed for life. Her teenage attackers were sentenced to a minimum of 14 to 17 years each. As part of the investigation, although the police sought a motive for the attack, they knew they would never find one. As with the Lambeth-based Otre One dressed in red, marking their affiliation to the Bloods from LA, and the Stockwell-based ABM crew dressed in blue, aligning with the Bloods' arch-rivals, the Crips. The motive could be as meaningless as their postcode or the colour of their clothes. Styled as The Life, although gang members have more love for each other than for their own mothers, for many young boys striving to be men, being in a gang is no life. It's just a lie. No one gets rich, no one gets out, no one gets old, and being seen as angels at home and devils on the streets, you rarely see an old gang member because they've either grown up, wised up, been locked up, or are dead. Sadly, once you're part of a gangland feud, even if you've left, the threat stays with you for life. Jermaine Joseph was an ex-gang member of Otre One. Age 23, he'd seen it all. Blood, death and destruction. And every time the circle was the same. A young life lost, a family in grief and another casket buried. Raised in Mitcham, Jermaine knew Sedu by the street name Nuts and knew he had a reputation to match. And with bad blood between the two rivals stemming back years, having informed the council that he was being targeted by Sedu's ABM crew, in April 2011, Jermaine was rehoused from Mitcham in southwest London to Tottenham in northeast London. On the 9th of November 2011, just weeks before Sedu's death, Jermaine received an anonymous call in which he was warned, We know where you live, and we're coming for you. Unsure who would be sent, when or how, to ward off any attackers, Jermaine packed a six-inch lock knife, small enough to hide in his pocket and big enough to look threatening, with the hope that he would never need to use it. Monday the 26th of December 2011 was a classic British Boxing Day. Having accidentally avoided the Queen's speech, being sick of the sight of Turkey, and about ready to strangle their relatives, having been cooped up together for two whole days, thousands of people descended on the West End for the first day of the January sales, and with not a single snowflake to be seen, the day was warm and intensely bright. By the morning, Oxford Street was busy and bustling, as although the recent recession loomed large, lured to the city by buy-one-get-one-free offers, 30, 50 and even 75% off, and supposedly unbeatable discounts, all writ large in red lettering across every storefront, great swathes of feverish shoppers mingled and jostled on the tight sweaty paths, burdened by bags, bargains and screaming babies. Feeling flush as his pocket bulged with Christmas cash, 
23-year-old Jermaine Joseph and his friend, 20-year-old Thulani Kumalo, hopped on the Victoria Line train at Tottenham Hale and headed several stops south to Oxford Circus. The tube was hot, the streets were rammed, and the shops were in chaos. But being super psyched to secure himself a stylish pair of trainers, Jermaine headed to Foot Locker. The same idea had by Seydou and his crew. Being just two shops up from Bond Street Tube, one minute from Selfridges, and opposite the Disney store, Foot Locker at 363 Oxford Street looks as it does anywhere else. Being three stories high, 50 feet wide, with tall windows on either side and no door, just a wide open entrance, with every inch of wall space covered by a kaleidoscope of brightly coloured trainers, even if you miss the big bold sign which reads Foot Locker in thick black font, with the interior stylish, the models young, and the stereo blasting hip-hop and R&B, there's no denying what they sell, or who they're trying to lure in. At 1.30pm, as Jermaine and Thulani stood outside Foot Locker, Jermaine froze, as before him, he saw a familiar and unwelcome face from his past. Clutching a boxed bag of trainers, Several steps ahead, Jermaine spotted Seydou. He said, Nuts looked at me and stopped walking. Surrounded by his crew, Felix Anker, nicknamed Stagger, Louis Souza Santos, and Brian Clips Mudzi Wapatsi, who just two months later would be jailed for 11 years for firing a gun at two unarmed police officers. He congregated towards his friends and walked towards me. Remembering the anonymous call and the death threats which had led him to flee his hometown, Jermaine said, My first intention was to get to safety. I ran into Foot Locker. I thought if I run into the shop, the CCTV and the security guards would stop them trying to stab me. With the store being packed full of oblivious shoppers, some men, some teens, some kids and babies, Nuts and his crew didn't care. As unwilling to talk, their sole focus was the feud. Dashing in, Jermaine said, As I got near the tables, I felt like I ran into a wall of people. I turned around, and I heard Sedu say to me, Where you going? He was running towards me, with a knife in his right hand. Torn between killing and being killed, from his pocket, Jermaine pulled a six-inch silver lock knife. I held it in front of me, I thought if I hold it out, it would deter him from attacking me. But being battle-scarred, this wasn't the first blade Seydou had seen, and this wasn't his first knife fight, so he wasn't afraid. With both boys armed, Nuts looked at the blade, but carried on charging towards me. He swung his right hand with the knife in it. I blocked it with my left hand. And as screams erupted across the store, as the terrified shoppers tried to escape the swinging blades, the panicked people fled. Amidst the chaos and the confusion, unaware that he had stabbed Sedu in the left hip, Jermaine said, I stumbled back, and the crowd started to separate. As I was falling, I swung at Sedu with my knife. 
I thought I stabbed him in the back. But he hadn't. Sadie was stabbed with such speed and force that the knife snapped in two. As I swung my knife, I heard it break. I wasn't even sure I even stabbed him. I thought I caught it on his coat and then it broke. I remember hitting the ground and I thought I was going to get stabbed. I curled up into a ball. I remember feeling punches and kicks. Until suddenly, it stopped. As the crew parted, Jermaine got to his feet, stepped backwards towards the escalator and up to the safety of the second floor. As Seydou stumbled out onto the busy bustling pavement, swiftly followed by Stagger, Sousa and Clips. Seizing an opportunity, the staff brought down the steel shutter of the store, shielding the customers and separating both groups. As outside, Stagger shouted, You stabbed him! You stabbed him! You're dead! I know where you live! Seconds later, Seydou collapsed. Witnessing the aftermath, a detachment of Scotland Yard's Diplomatic Protection Group stopped to give support to the paramedics, who battled to save Sedu's life, as an agitated crowd of more than 100 people jostled and pushed to get nearer. Some crying, some joking, some angry, many filming it for their own amusement, all blocking the road, making it impossible for the ambulance to get through. As a handful of police desperately tried to protect the paramedics and their patient. Having been stabbed once in the chest, the six-inch blade penetrated four inches deep, right through his heart. And as the silver blade broke, it remained within, as blood pooled across the grey pavement. And as his face became paler, his bright eyes sunk, and his big beaming smile had gone. Suddenly his hand dropped. And at 1.45pm, just one day after Christmas, 18-year-old Sedu Dirasuba was pronounced dead. Two knives were recovered from the scene, two sets of fingerprints, and CCTV footage from the shop. And although the police appealed to those who had witnessed and filmed the killing, the investigation was hampered by a refusal to assist the police and a petty code of silence. Many tributes were paid on social media, some addressed to Sedu, some by his street name of Nuts. Some made reference to his sweet smile and big personality. Some called him a soldier and a martyr. And in an emotional plea for witnesses, his grieving family stated, Whoever took his life took our backbone away. Life seems meaningless without our special son and brother. On the 15th of November 2012, after a four-week trial at the Old Bailey, as the jury saw that Jermaine Joseph acted in self-defence, he was cleared of both murder and manslaughter, and the case was closed. Sedu was a promising young man from a good family who had given him everything to ensure that he had a great start in life. But believing that he was a gangster who had to carry a knife, he threw it all away. And instead of becoming someone great, he became just another statistic. 
That year, Sedu Dirasuba became the 15th young person to be murdered on the streets of London. Another wasted life. And all for nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. If you're a murky miler, stay tuned for more rip-roaring excitement as I make a cup of tea. Ooh. But before that, here's my recommended podcasts of the week, which are Southern Gone and Murderous Miners. People disappear every single day. Did you know that at any given time, there's an average of 90,000 missing people in the United States? Here at Southern Gone, we believe someone, somewhere, knows something. Hey everyone, I'm Christy Bryant, the host and founder of the podcast called Southern Gone. I'm a Georgia native, armchair detective, and I believe the missing deserve to be found. Join me as I investigate missing person cases right here in the southern United States. I use my tenacity, inability to hear the word no, and southern charm to shed light on past and present cases. Each episode features a different missing person case, as well as insightful interviews with the missing person's family and or friends. Southern Gone is on a mission to spread awareness about missing people. It is my hope that if we shake the trees enough, someone will come forward to bring closure to these families. Head on over to southerngone.com to listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. So grab a chair, a glass of sweet tea, and get gone with Southern Gone. Just so you know, this show is about scary stuff. So don't say I didn't warn you guys. And remember, don't be scared. Murderous Miners brings true tales of children who have killed. Premeditated murders. Accidental killings and deaths. From toddlers to 18-year-old killers, no one is too young to take a life. Join me, War Baby, as I try to tell these stories of the young who've killed, the lives they took, and even the ones who've been left behind. Why do children kill? What do we do with young killers? And do they kill again? Until next time, don't be scared. A huge thank you goes out to my new Patreon supporters, who are Gabor Horvathand and John Palcher, who each get thank you cards of goodies from me. And a special thank you to Marianne Matson, a very exclusive $25 patron, who not only gets a card of goodies, but also a complimentary Murder Mile mug. Woo! This week, I have a very special secret birthday shout-out for an ardent listener of Murder Mile. Originally, she was from Leamington's Bar, via Christchurch, Sydney, and now she lives in Atlanta. Well, that narrows it down. 
It's her birthday on Tuesday the 16th of July. Yep, that really narrows it down. So on behalf of us all, I'd like to wish Sarah Grabreverse a very happy birthday. That special treat was arranged by Tim. If you'd like to arrange a shout-out, you can do so via the Murder Mile merch shop. And also this week, a special pod-to-pod shout-out. This week, for the Swedish podcast, Mordarpodden, which is a fabulous podcast by Dan Hörning and Josephine Mullen, all about murder and disappearances. Dan also makes the hugely successful serial killer podcast called Serimordenpodden. If you understand Swedish... And because my pronunciation was unquestionably appalling there, uh, I've put links to both shows in the show notes below. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss good that wasn't too bad good right extra mile time (coughs) oh lovely ladies and gentlemen (coughs) welcome to extra mile hey how are we all are we all good we all good before we do anything i'm going to open a window because this is the hottest day of the year uh it's what was it? It was 40, 44 degrees in France yesterday, uh, and it's meant to be thirty three degrees today, which is why I've woken up very early to get this done because I didn't want the boat to get absolutely sweltering. So wow, Jesus Christ, that's going to be hot. Going to open up some windows. Going to put some water on so I have a couple of tea, cup of tea time. Yeah, no, it's going to be really roasty hot today. The problem is when you're inside a steel shell. Like, when it gets really hot, you touch the metal and all the metal is hot. It's so hot today, even even my biscuits have started melting. Just going to open up some windows. There you go, the birds have stopped tweeting. I've been fighting against birds tweeting throughout this whole record. <laughs>
I've had a blackbird above me talking to his mate for the last hour really loudly and now he's decided to shut up. There we go. Oh dear, that is going to be a roasty day and I'm going to be inside this tin can. There we go. Windows open. Right, good. There we go. I'm just going to get rid of the old coffee. Stock up on tea. Got to have tea. Oh. Right, there we go. Yes, powdered milk. Because we're in summer, it's back to powdered milk again. Because, oh, it will just, uh, it will just, uh, I'll have it within a day and it'll just, uh, it'll go all mouldy and horrible because I don't have a fridge. I do have a fridge, it's just uh, too expensive to run. I'm out of breath now. Right, okay. Uh, where am I? Where am I? Uh, very fine north of London at the moment, which is all good in a nice, relatively quiet part, which was good. Quite like it here. Nice and peaceful. Bit of a pig to get into town, which is a real problem. But uh, apart from that, it's all good. Uh, update for the moment. I've had tonsillitis all week, which has been great. I think I I went out uh, last week. It must have ended last last week's episode. when I, After I was recording that. No, when I was finished editing that. Went to a mate's birthday. It looks like I probably met someone there who probably had tonsillitis and passed it on to me. So that was nice. So I've had tonsillitis. Uh, so I've not slept in a good couple of days, so I, I sound a really bit weird. And because my throat was really swollen, I couldn't swallow as well. Which makes it a real a nightmare, so you can't sleep, because every time you swallow, you convulse. It's, oh, so, so I haven't slept in a couple of days, and I haven't had any tea or biscuits, so this will be my first cup of tea in ages, and I haven't had any biscuits yet. But the blessing of having tonsillitis is uh, you can have lots of ice cream, which I do like. So a nice big... I've had a couple of big tubs of uh, Neapolitan ice cream. The really, really cheap shit. Cheaper the better, because it's got no bits in it, and it doesn't... And literally, you put it in your mouth, and it starts to dissolve, which is great. <sighs> the only problem is... The only problem is living on the boat. I know it's, it's a nice life, but when you do have medical problems, it's a real pain, because my doctor is 25 miles away. Because, obviously, I move, but my doctor doesn't move. So it's a 50-mile round trip. When was that? Thursday? Yeah, Thursday. I decided bollocks. I was like, I, I need. Even though, even though I didn't tell the doctor what it was, because you're not meant to do that. I knew I needed some amoxicillin uh, for the tonsillitis. So I got up at about five o'clock and headed over to West London uh, to queue up outside to do my usual thing of going in. I, I, I always love it. I sit in the doctor's surgery and I pre-rehearse what I'm going to do because doctors don't have a lot of time. And the last thing they want is, you know, when you go in there and you go, they go, so uh, tell us about it. And you go, well, I was shopping on Thursday with my friend Jean. And you know Jean, who's got the bad leg. Well, do you know, you, oh, it's just like, so I sat there and I went, I went right. She went, what's the problem? I went, right. I've had, I've had a sore throat for six days. Uh, it got bad in the last two days. I haven't been able to swallow. I haven't been able to sleep. And now it's spreading into my ears. And she's like, oh, great, okay, <laughs> that does it all. You, you tell them everything they need to know without saying to them, I have tonsillitis. That's the secret that I've learned over all these years is never tell the doctor what you have because they will instantly go, you almost certainly don't have that. They will try and go against it or they will try and find out what it really is. If you give them give them all the symptoms of, as quickly as possible and you don't tell them what, what you think it is because you're not a doctor, they will come to the conclusion faster and better. It always works every time. And literally, I mean, I was in and out. I, literally, I, I knew I needed an amoxic amoxicillin. 
uh, and she looked at me and she went, yep, yeah, you're red in the throat, red in one of your ears. Uh, I'm going to put you on some amoxicillin. And I was like, oh, brilliant, thank you. <laughs> Job done. It really is. So uh, tea's almost done. Getting there, getting there. Should I have a biscuit today? I don't know whether I should risk it. It's so hot in here already that they've probably all melted already. So uh, I'm just going to open up some more windows. Oh, and a door as well. I've opened that door. Oh, and that window. That window open as well, and that window. Christ. It's only about nine o'clock in the morning, and it's already about 26 degrees. It's picking up. I feel it. I think after I record this, I'm going to go into town. Town, near town, not far town. The little village around the corner. Buy some icy cold drinks, some ice cream. And then just spend the day in here editing. Oh, I can't think today, I'm too tired. And as you can hear, little planes going over because there's a lot of, because I'm heading north and there's a lot of posh people who've got little planes. Every time it's even slightly nice, these bored businessmen and women get into their little uh, Cessnas and they start flying around and they use the canal as a, a guide to get them into town even though they don't get off they just go into town turn around come back so anyway oh, I'm out of breath right uh, just gonna say uh, next week uh, if uh, I, I say next week this is entirely irrelevant because uh, by the time you listen to this this will be the 11th of July or beyond and this would have happened but uh, so next week for me I'm in the past. Hello. I'm in the past. Uh, we'll be uh, the, the, the meetups, uh, the true crime meetup arranged by uh, They Walk Among Us and Generation Y. Uh, I will be uh, both of the London ones, but I can't make the Manchester one, unfortunately, because I can't. Uh, there's no trains to get me back to London by 11 o'clock so I can do my tour, which is really annoying. So I can't do that one. Um, so uh if you're there i will see you there i hope to see you all there uh just a quick message out there if anyone out there is uh one of my patrons um when you join i always send you a nice little email saying hey thanks for joining uh i'm gonna send you a a, a nice uh, little envelope a thank you card with uh goodies like some stickers and all that um but I've noticed that even though I email people, a lot of people ignore the emails, and then I f later on they get in touch. And they go, "Where's uh, where's my uh, where's my envelope? Where's my goodies?" And it's like I sent you an email, but you ignored it. So, if you are one of my patrons and you do want an envelope of goodies, just just message me uh, via Patreon uh, and give me your address, and then I can send one to you. Um, I did a message this week saying, "Hey people, <laughs> hey people, uh, if you want one, let me know." And loads of people went, "Yeah, I want one." It was like, well send me your address <laughs> it's like oh i'm not psychic anyway so uh i think i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to work a better way of doing this because it's uh slightly confusing uh so uh oh damn I'm so tired uh right this story where did it come from uh, i remember it happening because i was working in uh, in london at the time anyway so i remember it being on the news i remember i was going to go into town and do some shopping and then this happened um i've i've only told part of the story here because uh there was this killing that happened this was outside night town on uh, oxford street and then a couple of hours later there was a, another attack outside 
um, Nike Town. Did I just say Nike Town? I'm so tired of. But there was this one was out outside Foot Locker on Oxford Street. The next one was outside Nike Town on Oxford Street. It happened on the same day. They're not too sure if they were connected. And then there was another one later on. So there's a lot of numpties out on the streets, getting all angry and uptight, and oh, just idiots carrying knives. Really, I mean, oh, why? Why? You carry a knife, then you're gonna have to use. You're gonna have to use a knife. But the problem is, most of them are idiots. They don't know how to use a knife. They just use it as a, a status. Well, most of it's a status symbol, isn't it? It's like I got a knife, and me got me a shank. But they don't know how to use it, and then when they're forced into a situation where they have to use a knife, they realise that they don't know how to use it, hence they just wave it around like twats. Like with the the, the story that I told told you in there about the uh, five-year-old girl who was paralysed when those the two, inverted commas, gang members fired up the shop. They didn't use targeted firing. They literally just sprayed the shop full of bullets because they're idiots, because they don't know any better. They spend all of their time on Playstations. They don't understand the difference between real life and what they're, you know, pressing, uh, pressing the green triangle. Ugh. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm just getting that out of my system because I deliberately tried to write this story. You probably noticed in a very fair way. Um, obviously, you you hear these stories in the in the press all the time, and the press always take like a, a side to it or, or things like that. So, and because I'm not part of their world. Um, do you know, it's not easy for me to understand why they decided to go into a gang uh, instead of, you know, instead of trying to s- strive, instead of trying to escape their situation, instead of fighting to get out of an awful situation, like, you know, if you're living in poverty or things like that, you know, a vast majority of people, as I mentioned in here, work really hard. You know, it doesn't matter whether they're rich or poor. It's like I, I, there's all, on one of these forms I'm on, there's someone always, every time a crime happens, someone always goes, oh, well, it's all about austerity, isn't it? It's like, no, it's not, because not all crime is about austerity. It's like if if crime was about austerity, given the fact in Britain, like I think they say, what is it, ten percent of the population live underneath the uh, uh, the poverty line, that would mean that ten percent, all of those people would be criminals, but they're not. The vast majority of people, whether rich, medium, poor, are good, decent people. You have the same, pretty much the same numbers of of criminals in all classes really you know, it's just a different style of style of criminal style of criminal what they steal do you know do you know the poor poor person goes shoplifting the rich person does tax evasion do you know there's no difference it's all criminals uh anyway uh so uh, th- th- this is something that i often say to people do you know uh, um for most people, it's easier to destroy something than it is to build it. Do you know, it takes a lot of hard work. So I, I, I always give this example that if you were to give a uh, hundred people a, a nice Les Paul guitar, 1956 Les Paul guitar, a nice, really piece of artwork, but beautiful to play, beautiful sound. If you give a hundred people that guitar, 10% of them would learn to play it. Only 1% would probably go on to become professional with it because it's really difficult it takes like 100 100 was it 10,000 hours to become an expert anything let's be honest the vast majority of us if we were given a guitar we go doing 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 we'd realize it's hard work and we'd give up and that's that's just normal so that'd be the most uh, most of us most of us would take the guitar we'd either use it as decoration or realizing its value we would either give it to a friend, a really good friend, as a present, or we'd sell it to buy the things we need, such as, you know, nappies, or take the family on holiday if it's worth good money. 
many of us just won't play it at all. Uh, some some people will just get it, they'll grab it, and they'll just go right. I'll just go and sell it for uh, a drugs drugs and a big blowout. That's fine. That's what they choose to do. Some people will take the guitar and they'll destroy it. Why? Because it represents something that they hate, which is that if you work hard enough, you'll succeed. Noisy, noisy running people uh, and bikes as well. I'm glad I finished when I did. So uh, I think that's it. I, I know with the, the press, they always say that people on council estates, you know, it's, it's, it's breeding ground for crime, but it's not. The vast majority of people are good, decent people. No matter where you go, no matter where it's, whether it's on a state or a posh bit or whatever, you get good, decent people. And then you get a small, tiny amount of people who are, who are criminals or in this case, go into gangs. Why? Because it's easier to be in a gang than it is to go and do something decent with your life. Anyway, but that's their choice. So what I've tried to do, I, I'm releasing a little bit of tension now. Uh, but in the story, do you know, um, I've tried to write it as fairly as possible. I haven't tried to judge anyone on this. Do you know, the, they made the decision. But at the end, you know, it is a wasted life. What did he achieve? What did what was achieved by this at all? Nothing. And I know everyone, some of his friends said, you know, he was a soldier and a martyr. It's just absolute dog shit. It's like, what did he die for? Did he die for anything poor, important? Did he become the next Rosa Parks? No. Just another statistic. And what you're left with, again, is grieving families. And I think that's what a lot of these, all these young boys forget, is that they, they're off doing their thing, you know... They like to say, oh, do you know, I'm, I'm, I was forced into it because of a situation. That's bollocks. They love the gangster culture, which is why they why they love the music that they do, which is why they wear they choose to wear the clothes that they do. Do you know, it's it's a decision. It's 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 more exciting to them than joining scouts or it's more exciting to them than doing a, an IT course or 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 whatever. So um, so as you probably noticed in this in this story, I've tried to be a bit be as balanced as possible because i had access to the original police files during which i can kind of you know if anyone were to say oh i didn't say that you know i've got access to witness statements and i can just point to an exact quote and they go there you go now piss off uh god i'm a bit grumpy today uh, <laughs> uh and because there was uh, a lot written about this case and a lot of it i have to say in the tabloid papers were absolute dog shit like really unfairly written uh, to the point where uh, the family quite often were getting in touch with them and saying you're gonna have to re retract this have a look at the daily mail articles about it so many times is written oh in the in an earlier version of this we said we said that he was a gangster but uh you know uh, we, this is unfair and it's not true and it's just like oh, fucking tabloid sorry for my bad language tabloid newspapers that's the problem with them is they don't they know that they can just fire out news articles and not bother with the repercussions they're like they'll they'll do it this is what i hate they do a front page story when they'll they'll go like like they'll say uh michael is a um a, a drug addict pedophile and and then uh They'll, not that they've done this uh, you know this is just an example they, they say they would plaster my pay, my picture over the page and then uh, all these horrible stuff about me and then if it goes to court they they have to they would have to pay me like a small for them would be pocket change and then you'll notice a couple of weeks later in a small section on page 17 in the bottom it, it will say uh, in an article we recently wrote that Michael was uh a drug addict paedophile uh, this is correct we retract the statement and that's it that's all they have to do they they make a fortune out of being scandalous and you know trying to sell um crazy stories to people who are basically just thick let's be honest 
oh, I'm grumpy today. Uh, but uh, when it comes to time to retract these stories, they, they, they don't use the same amount of ink that they do to besmirch someone. They hide it away elsewhere. I, I think the law should change. I think if you write something bad about someone, you should have to use the same amount of ink to praise them as well. If you're found guilty of this, you should have to put a front page story in that if you say someone is like a, a drug addict paedophile, the next day, if that's proven wrong, you have to use the same place, same positioning, same amount of ink, same words, you know, really force the newspapers to bloody wake up and say to them, so the newspaper has to say, Michael is a great person and he's raised all this money for charity. I think they should be forced to do that rather than paying a pittance amount of money that they, they can afford and then hiding a retraction in a place where no one's no one's going to read. Ugh. You can tell I haven't slept. I'm on a bit of a rant today. Uh, anyway, so, the, yeah, so there was a lot of uh, articles written uh, which were unfair, I felt. So what I've tried to do in this story is really just... Try and be as fair as possible. Do you know, there are things that can't be proven. Like, even with the the uh, the, the court case just before Seydoux's murder. So it was kind of... Um, even though he was in court on charges for stealing a Blackberry... Uh, that was like a week before he died. Because the case wasn't concluded because he died. I can't, I can't really say that he was in court for that. I can't find any uh, transcript for that case because it was just an initial hearing. So And because it was never concluded... It can't be proven whether he did it or not. So therefore, because of that, I've had to write supposed and alleged. And there's a lot of that in there. And I've used, you know, there's unknown sources in there. So I've I've tried I've tried to be as honest as possible about what's what's where and who's. Oh, this was a complicated one to write. This really took a lot longer than expected. Uh, but what I really wanted to do was to focus on a story about a young man who was really just given all the chances. I felt, do you know, you think about it, he's got a good family still together good brother and sister you know uh even though they're not in one of the best parts of town you know they they raised him as good and moral he had a good religious background good education do you know he was going places he was going to college do you know people liked him he was bright when you look at it he had all the chances he had all the chances and he threw it away if anything, I would say he threw it in his parents' face. You know, they gave him they they gave up, gave up a lot. They moved from the Ivory Coast to come to Brick Ivory Coast. I'm sure that I'm sure it's not that great, but I'm sure it's idyllic in comparison to Joe you know, parts of London, part of you know smoggy, grey, old, dirty London. But they gave up a lot because they wanted a better life for their children. Do you know? So. um I wanted to write. I I wish I knew more about the parents. I would love to have written more about how the parents felt, but they didn't give many statements, so I couldn't really write that much about them. But uh, yeah, uh, so yeah, and there's also the balance in there of you know, even though even though it was said in court that oops, even though it was said in court that he was in a gang, some of the stuff was based on the testimony of the prosecution and Jermaine uh, Joseph, uh, who said that Nuts, who is Sedu's uh, street name, uh, was a gang leader and, you know, things like that. And because that can't be proven again, I've used that in there, but again, I've had to say, you know, that's his opinion. But, you know, that gangs don't really have, they don't, they don't have ID cards. Do you know, they don't have a, a rotor. People don't clock in, so you can't really prove a lot of things. And also, do you know, I could just get some mates together today and say, we, we, we as a gang in it. 
And it's like, are we a gang, really? It's like, that's that's why it's so difficult for the police, even though they say there's 250-ish active gangs in London. It changes all the time. Like, even they they say, you know, there's, there's cliques within the gangs. So sometimes, even though a gang may only have 15 people, that might be three cliques within a gang of 15. So... Do you know, and it it changes and it moves all the time. But it, it's true, you never see an old gang member. You never see an old boy who's still in a gang. It's like they get to kind of early to mid twenties, and that's it. It's done. Either they're in prison or they're dead, or they've grown up. And that's what a lot of ex gang gang members do. It's like you know, they talk about when they're younger. It's 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 the life. It's because they're bored. There's nothing better to do. But when they start growing up and they have responsibilities, they realize it's playtime is over it's time to wake up now it's like you can't go around pretending that you, you is a gangster ain't it it's like you're married you got kids you got a job you got responsibility you know you can't spend your life going in and out of prison you're just an idiot if you are really <sighs> rant you rant over i think i don't know uh so i'm just gonna check the time because i don't want to overrun right uh, I thought I'd do some stats for you. I was going to throw this into the episode, but I didn't do it. So, uh, 2011, uh, there were 118 murders that year in London, uh, which, <coughs> which is roughly one every three days. Uh, but then again, London does have a population of 9 million people. Uh, in total, uh, across England and Wales, don't ask me why the stats are always England and Wales. It really annoys me, this does. Really throws everything off. Uh, there's, uh, there was, on average, 720 murders in England and Wales. Why they don't do it as the UK, I don't know. But the population of the UK is 64 million. What is the population of England and Wales? I don't know. I, th- <laughs> I, th- I think it's 56 million, but I'm not too sure. Uh, anyway, statistically, uh, it's a very safe country. I think uh, if you go back to one of the Minimal episodes, I did the uh, uh, Police Constable Arsenal Guinness's uh, rundown of uh, crime stats. And it is a, it is a really safe place. It's, as I say, you know, um, um, I've, got, I've got it written here. This is uh, 60% of all, all crime is committed by gangs. Um, uh, 40% of those who are murdered are usually associated with drugs or the sex trade. So, you know, given the fact that in England and Wales we have, on average, 700 murders a year, if 40% of those is to do with sex trade and drugs, so what's that? That's 300. Uh, so that's not bad, really, considering our population. I guess, I guess if, if you look at the... No, I'm not going to say that. I was going to go into a little rant about gun culture there, but <laughs> do you know what? I'm not going to bother, because I know the fallout it's going to cause... If you like guns, fine. Uh, so, uh, but as with most gangs, do you know what? Uh, it was really—it's always difficult for the police to get data because gangs don't deal with the police. Uh, whether they're, whether they're the perpetrator or the victim, it really is a code of silence. So, uh, so. Um, but as mentioned in here, if you're a gang, it's hard. It's hard to get out. It really is. Um, it was hard to get some really good. Oh, I'm gonna have a cup of tea. Not a cup of tea, a swig of tea. I can't have a whole cup of tea. Uh, I could. Tell me I could. Um, I was trying to find some... Um, with 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 this kind of article, the, the press kind of jumped all over it. And there's a lot of the same information. None of them turned up at the scene, which I've mentioned before. 
uh, journalists rarely ever do. They just get get the press report and then they fabricate a lot of information around it, most of which is based on things that they find on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and blah, 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 blah. And it's often it's hard to get really good, solid pieces of information. Um, so, but what I did was I, I had a really good trawl around various blogs because because there was a, a bit of an out, emotional outpouring from his friends, so a lot of people who kind of knew say do. So uh, I found some blogs uh, by them. So uh, if if you go onto my website, I'll I'll post all of the 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 links that I've used on there. So you can you can have a trawl through them if you like. But there were some that were really nice. Uh, so uh, this was from. Uh, 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 Tragic Chorus 888 um, I'll just read this So, uh, A young London rapper has been criticised by anti-knife crime campaigners for making gang signs from his hospital bed whilst being treated for stab wounds However, this photo of n- is not of him but of another former gang member Sedu Dirasuba Here he is apparently making the same gang signs As well as being a former gang member Sedu Dirasuba was an able young man How do I know this? I had a conversation with a black teacher who helped educate him. This Nigerian lady, uh, I've kind of half mentioned her in the story, uh, a former world national and international tennis player, an an excellent mother whose daughter was at the time living and studying Catalan Spain, had this to say about Mr. Dirasuba. He was a charming, personable young man with a lot of potential and a hard-working, conscientious mother. Our only real concern was his poor attendance. He could he could easily have excelled academically. I'm shocked to hear about his death. Uh, it couldn't possibly be a mistake, could it? Question mark. Um, the bits that I missed out of the story, um, the, as I mentioned, you know, the, uh, when he when he was dying, there was a lot of people. There were a lot of surge of people who were quite angry. Um, he kind of felt sorry for the police there. There was only a handful of police trying to hold back like a hundred people, many of whom wanted to come in and get some pictures, many of whom decided that they wanted to be angry about it because they saw the police and it was like, let's get angry at the police. And it's like, mm, the police are there trying to save your friend. Yeah, paramedics are trying to there save your friend. But there was people who were just angry. There's angry dickheads everywhere. There really is. Oh, and they just they just really, they're desperate for attention and that's what they want is attention. Um... But uh, unfortunately, because he was stabbed in the hip, um, they had to remove his trousers. So there's a lot. There was some idiots online who were making uh, nasty, spurious claims about uh, Sedu because because he died and he wasn't wearing any trousers. You know, these are the kind kind of idiots who leave the, the trolls who have nothing better to do is spend their whole life online. Ugh. Uh, what was there was um. So I'm struggling a bit today to, to put thoughts in my head. Uh, uh, after this, there was a real backlash. Uh, they didn't find uh, Jermaine Joseph immediately afterwards. Uh, and his friend, I haven't mentioned much about his, his friend who he was with because uh, the judge actually uh, ended up throwing out that whole side of the court. You know, his friend who he was with, who he went into town with, the judge was like, well, you've clearly got nothing to do with this. Let's just, just entirely get rid of that side of the case. So, uh, but afterwards, they, they need to find out who who did it, who was involved. Obviously, there was a code of silence amongst gang members, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so the police had to go uh, kicking down doors uh, of known gang members to find uh, out who it was. 
this was in the Telegraph. Uh, the teenager was knifed to death following a fight outside a sports shop uh, of the UK's busiest street on Monday. Following the death, uh, another man. Oh yeah, this was the this was the uh, nighttime one. Following the death, another man was stabbed on the same street four hours later in what police fear could have been a ven- revenge attack. Now, following fears that another. Other attacks were planned. Scotland Yard have made a series of raids and arrests in an attempt to prevent tension between gangs in the South London area escalating. Uh, Sedu, 18, bled to death in front of shoppers after being stabbed once in the heart. It is understood that he was no they've made a spelling mistake there uh that he was known to be on the periphery of the south lung the gang scene uh as i mentioned in here some people said he was the gang leader some people said he was a senior member they say he's on the periphery other people said he wasn't in the gang so it's hard to pin down exactly where what he was the raids in merton wandsworth southwark and westminster resulted in 13 arrests for offenses including gbh robbery affray intent to supply drugs burglary forgery and hand handling stolen goods Commander, God, they've made another mistake there. That's very odd for the the Telegraph. Uh, The commander for the investigation said, we are uh, aware of rising tensions in the wake of the murder and are monitoring the situation closely, including various comments that have been made on social media and network sites. We felt it vital to take robust and prompt action in order to preempt any potential future violence. Uh, so that was that. Uh, what I'm going to do um, on my blog, uh, it, uh, just to mention, each week I do a blog that goes with it. A lot of people, it's great. Some people do look at it. Some people don't. But uh, on the on the blog every week, I do. Um, there will be uh, a, the location video is on there. There'll be a little map so you can see where it is in relation to all the other murders that have been on Murder Mile. Uh, there'll be some photos on there. There might be some crime scene photos. This is every every third every uh, Thursday when the episode goes out. There will be a blog on there. And what I'm going to do on there as well, um, I'm going to show you some. Uh, it's a bit grainy. It's uh, some. Um, oh come on, brain. Um, uh, some mobile phone footage that was shot on the day. You can see that um, the paramedics trying to attend to Sedu and the police trying to hold back. Literally. 100 150 people and everyone getting angry and you just so you can see that footage for yourself and think what absolute idiots why don't they just let the police and the paramedics do their job to save their friend uh and there's another video on there that i will show it was a a tribute video um to sedu uh and i'll put that on there as well uh so you can have a look at that that was that was kind of interesting that was done by friends of his and um i think I, i actually got more information uh, out of that video <laughs> than I did out of most of the tabloid newspapers uh, so th- that's what where I've tried to go with this one I've used kind of uh, the court document not court documents but the piece of the court documents the AP wire stuff the uh, stuff that was in the press to give me an outline of the story but the bulk of it uh, I used by just going to blogs social media kind of uh, tributes to Sedu and uh, just trying to base it out that way Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that one. That was uh, a different. I tried to, as I've said before, I'm always trying to do something different. Do you know, sometimes we'll have a really, really emotional ones. There's a nice reaction from everyone for the uh, Ben and Freya Peterson one, the high Park bombing one. That was, I quite enjoyed that one. That one came out of the blue. That was a last minute where I, I found the story and I was like, oh, I need that needs to go in. And I thought it'd make a nice balance from all the other ones because we'd had a couple of 
do you know when you, you have as i said before do you know if you have a murdered prostitute one then it's nice afterwards to not nice as bad things then it's nice to have kind of a robbery one then it's nice after that to have a terrorism one it's do you, do i try and balance it out and sometimes i have a uh, a really emotional one like the the, the uh jacqueline Beery one i like that one because it was more of a kind of a, a murder mystery uh and then joe we had the charlie chergwin one the 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 one with the workhouse that was went down quite well that was an emotional one uh this one obviously not an emotional one but what i really wanted to do was to give a give a snapshot of kind of of kind of a world that we don't really know a lot about and for us it's kind of quite confusing as to why joe why join a gang why believe that you have to carry a knife why why is it so important that just because that guy wears blue and you wear red that that's enough to want to kill him it's like why why so uh so that's why i'm doing that with that uh we've got an interesting one next week and what's next week's one yeah next week's one that'll be interesting uh i think last week's one what was last week's one i don't remember where am i what's going on uh f65 what was f65 oh it was the gordon johnson one see this is see you're listening to this and i'm two weeks ahead of you so i have no idea what i did last week which for you is yeah that'd be that'd be last week as well and the gordon johnson one um again that's a different one although in the era that we're normally in kind of 1940s ish and in soho um i thought that was quite interesting because it's kind of what happened do you know it's not an emotional one it, it, it was a little bit funny when i was going through it and i was thinking oh do you know he's had a really rough life because it's like how many times can you get hit on the head and you think you think it's going one way you think he's going to turn into like a, a killer or something but actually he stays stays the same and then it's uh phew, it's uh for some reason uh thomas edward croft comes in and stabs that guy to death and you just think why so uh weirdly there's a lot of parallels isn't there between episode 65 and 66 do you know you have last week we had a guy who was in uh you know even though he was in uh the army the u.s army and this guy is in a gang both have their own kind of uniform both believe that they have to carry a knife both killed for their friends weirdly there's a lot of similarities isn't there i hadn't really thought about that but is there a difference between them? Do you know, in a, in a way, both of their parents are proud of them, but at the same time, I'm sure both of their parents are upset at the fact that their sons, do you know, did what they did. Hmm, there's similarities there. Hadn't really thought about that, but now I have. Right, I'm going to edit this. Uh, so, hope <laughs> you enjoyed that. Um, God, it's sweltering already. It's 9.30 and it's sweltering. Uh, so I'm going to go and uh, uh, do some editing, have some cold drinks, have some more amoxicillin. Frick, it's hot. Oh dear, it's not a day to be outside today. Uh, I'm going to have some ice cream as well, and that's me done. So, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, next week, we've got an uh, uh, interesting episode coming out next week. It's more of a mystery one, uh, but it's a different mis- kind of mystery one. Uh, and then I'm going to do the uh what i was going to call walkabout uh but uh, police constable arsenal guinness um uh, uh messaged me with a title which i thought was quite good i think he, he called it uh, m- uh murder meander which i quite like i like the alliteration but i'm thinking about calling it meander mile 
just to go with the alliteration of murder mile so uh, that so that'll be it so i'll do i'll do an episode where we'll do a little bit of a walk around london it'll be you know me with my portable recorder uh walking around places taking you to taking you past sites so you can hear how close they are past sites that you've seen heard of before but also hopefully uh, throwing some stories that you've never heard of before uh and who knows we'll probably meet some nutters as well anyway uh that's that that's me done i'm off now uh have yourself a good week tatty bye bye want to get a chiseled look in the jawline sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from juvederm volux xc juvederm volux xc is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist visit juvederm.com that's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.